Good morning, One Church. Y'all doing well? It is good seeing you guys. Uh, Actually, I can't see any of you guys, but that will soon change. So my name is Chris. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And uh, before we dive into this message today, I want to tell you about two uh, important things. Uh, Last week, um, we had more first-time guests last week than any other time we've ever had of like the guest cards. And I don't know what happened. I don't know. In fact, I think I do know what happened. You guys are investing in people outside of this church, and then you are leveraging the relationships that you have with them, and you're inviting them to one church. And I just want to say thank you very, very much. You know, we started one church a little over four years ago to reach people who uh, have never been to church before or people who have been to church but decided to leave church because maybe of a painful experience that they had. Maybe they couldn't understand exactly what was going on or what was being said for whatever reason. We all have our reasons for leaving church and leaving God. It may have been a spring break. It may have been a party. It may have been something that was just a life-changing moment. But I just want to say thank you so very much. If you volunteer, if you choose to invite people, all of the things, we are here because you are here. And I just want to say thank you so much for being able to do that. Also, to give you guys also a heads up, uh, tomorrow you all should be receiving an email in the mail about um, our leadership nominations. One of the things that way we do... uh, our, our staff structure here is we're a staff-led church, but we're elder-protected. And uh, the elders is what keeps us accountable. Uh, they make sure that we, we stay on focus to our beliefs and our mission and our budget. And um, our elder selection process is coming up. And if you guys know someone that you think would be a good in a good leadership role, who loves Jesus and loves the Bible and is on board with our mission and vision of our church, we'd love for you to be able to nominate them. So you're going to be getting an email tomorrow, and you can click on that link, and then from there you can be able to submit a name. So, All right, we are in our last week of this series called Eat This Book. And the entire premise for this series, I've been trying to get you guys to do what? Read the Bible. So let me see this. How many of y'all made it through the New Through 30 plan? Darcy, look at you, girl. Is anybody else? All right. I don't know who's raising your hand in the back, but I see your hand. That is awesome. In fact, you guys stand up. Stand up. I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. Let's give it up for these guys. Absolutely. That looks like Ashley in the back. All right. Gotcha. Now, how many of y'all are on the new through 40 plan? All right. The rest of y'all, just don't stop. Don't stop. Because I tell you, the entire premise for this series is to get you to read the Bible and showing you how all of this kind of fits together. Last week, um, actually two weeks ago, we had you look at the table of contents. And we showed you how the Old Testament fits together. And then we showed you how the New Testament fits together. And last week, what did we talk about? The Gospels. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mom. And we, talk, we talked about the Gospels. And the Gospels is written, it's a biography about who? Jesus, exactly right. A, a biography about Jesus written from four different points of view. Two disciples and then two people who weren't disciples. Matthew was a disciple. John was a disciple. Uh, and then Luke and Mark, they actually researched and they wrote their account. So, And uh, each one of those guys is writing to a specific audience and they're presenting Jesus in a specific way. So I'd encourage you to go on our podcast or watch that website. Uh, watch the stuff on the website uh, last week to kind of give you a heads up. Now today, we're finishing the rest of the New Testament, showing you how it all fits together. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts, 
book of Acts, that's where we're going to fall. And while you're doing that, you also may want to turn to the table of contents. Because we're going to show you how the book of Acts and how all of these letters that follow the book of Acts, the next 21 books that follow that, fits together. Now, hang out with me for a sec. The, the, The biography of Jesus, those four Gospels are all about Jesus. The book of Acts, which is short for action, all right? Action is all about the church. So the book of Acts is about what? The church. The book of Acts, short for action, is about the church. Now, here's what I want you to do. We're going to do some interactivity in here. I want you guys to turn to people or you're welcome to text me. My number's up here. When I say the word church, what comes to your mind? All right, pews. All right, cool. You didn't text it, but that was good. I like it. I can hear you. We can do this this way. Somebody else, if you don't want to text it, yell it out. It's cool. People, okay. People. Ability, okay. Anything else? All right, cool. So uh, any negative connotations? Some, maybe some of you. Positive connotations? Some, all right. Maybe just neutral. I really don't care. Move on. Right? Well, hear me. When we talk about, we're talking about the church today, and for so many of us, we get wrapped up in this thing that church is about stuff. It's about liturgy. It's about tradition. That the church is an institution. All right? Um, many of us, we get wrapped up in the fact that church is about, you know, uh, you know just stuff. I mean, pews. Right. In fact, but in the first century, when the church began, when the church started, there really wasn't any Bibles like you and I have a Bible today. There wasn't any bands. All right. There wasn't any banners. There wasn't any buildings. There wasn't anything else that started with the letter B. Right. It was just a group of people, a group of people that started a movement around one simple thing, that to be quite honest with you, the church really doesn't talk about a lot unless it's around the time of Easter. Because what happened at at that Easter, at that first Easter, is Jesus died, he was buried, but he didn't stay there. Jesus rose again. And because Jesus rose again, it got people fired up. And the church began around that really simple idea, that simple movement, that the church is a movement. So my point today as we go through the book of Acts is I want to get each and every one of you to rethink your idea of church, to reframe or redefine your idea of church. Because so many times when we think of church, we think about buildings and Bibles, and we think about a hierarchy and an institution. We think about, you know, stuff. Um, We think about all this stuff that really, in the first century, these Christians, they would think that was so foreign to... the whole idea of the word church, because they saw church as a movement. They saw church as a movement. And let me give you something really deep. Make sure to write this down. Movements move. Right? Now, so many times, churches don't move. Um, Churches don't move. In fact, some of their favorite hymns that they like singing is that we shall not be moved. But the church is a movement. All right? Um, In fact, one person says, Sunday. Church is about Sunday and kind of why that is. Why do we have it on Sunday? I'll answer that question. Remind me, I'll I'll do that. But it's about this little word church. In fact, I'm going to show you a Greek word today. Some of you think, well, Chris, you're not very deep. Well, today we're going to get deep. 
Because I'm going to show you a Greek word. In fact, I'm going to get you to say this Greek word. And we're going to put it up here. Because the word church comes from this little Greek word called ekklesia. Everybody say that. Ecclesia. Now let me kind of break this down a little bit. The, the, the E and the ek at the very beginning, the E and the, the epsilon and the kappa, that means out. Anytime you see ek in Greek, it means out. And then klesia means called, called ones. So this little Greek word literally means called out ones. And this word ecclesia literally meant a group of people, a group of called out ones, a a congregation of people, an assembly of people. It's all about people, a movement of people. That's what this word ecclesia meant to the people in the first century. And this, this, this launched this idea in the first century around this very simple idea that Jesus is raised, that Jesus is alive. And these called out ones, these group of people, this congregation of people, this movement of people got excited and the church was born in the book of Acts. Now here's the thing. Even though that's what ecclesia means, and you can go to that next slide if you want to, even though that's what ecclesia means, it didn't stay meaning that way for long. You know, sometimes words change, right? In fact, some people say, when you, you know, my kids say, you know, that's wicked. You know, and I'm going, it's, is it evil? No, because words change. Well, let me tell you, in the 300 AD, 300 years after Jesus Christ was resurrected and went up into heaven, this word ecclesia, which we get the word church for, was mistranslated in a German, in a Gothic idea. This word ecclesia, which meant movement, gathering, congregation, assembly of people, it was mistranslated into a little Greek or Gothic word called kerche. In fact, it'll be up here in just a second. Kerche. Everybody say kerche. Now, when you hear the word kerche, what does it sound like? Church. Exactly right. Now, let me tell you what kerche means. The word kerche means location or building. It comes with this idea, it's a throwback from the Old Testament, where God lived in a temple. And if you wanted to worship God, then you had to go to the temple. And it meant a location. It meant a place. It meant that you had to go someplace. In fact, some of you, when you looked at your kids this morning, you said, hurry up, we're going to be late for church. In fact, we're going to go to church, right? But see, that, this, this is where this has permeated our culture and permeated our idea about church because we think of church as a building. In fact, one of the questions I get all the time, all the time as pastor of one church is, when are y'all going to be a real church? I'm like, excuse me? And what they mean, and, and this is what they'll say, when are y'all going to have a church building? Well, <laughs> th- that's where this mindset comes from, kerche, a location. All right. Now, and you need to know this. The, Jesus, when he talked about church, he didn't talk about a location. He talked about a people. Our big idea today is this. The, very simple. The church is a movement, not a monument. The church is a movement, not a monument. Now, think about this. A monument is a place, isn't it? A a monument is a place usually where dead people go and they usually have plaques on it. How many of y'all been to those churches? All right? Totally been to those churches. 
all right, where you go, and this was given by Aunt Ethel's cousin's brother's sister's, I'm going, I'm stopping right there. I mean, it's more than a monument. A monument is a place. A movement is a group of people. A monument conveys dead things. A movement is alive. And Jesus never, ever, 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 ever intended it to be a place, a monument of something dead. Never. In fact, here's what I want us to do. I want you to keep your finger in the book of Acts. We're going to go to Matthew. And we looked at this verse last week. In fact, we ended with this verse last week. Because Jesus is with his disciples. And Jesus is with his disciples. And he asked a very important question. In fact, this is a question you may not want to ask people. Because this is the question he asked. He says, what are people talking about me about? What are people saying about me? All right. Now, if you don't want to hear the answer to that, don't ask the question. Right. So people are going, well, some people think you're a reincarnated Old Testament prophet and other people think you're a reincarnated New, you know, New Testament prophet like John the Baptist. And then Jesus asked a very pointed question. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, Simon Peter responded this way. He says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. The word Christ is the Greek word for Messiah or king. He says, you are the king. You are the one we've been waiting for, the son of the living God. And on that statement, Jesus says these words. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. He's saying the statement that you have made, that I am the Christ, the king, the Messiah the son of the living God, you didn't get that from anybody. God, our heavenly father, he spoke that and he whispered that into your ear. And listen to what Jesus continues to say. He says, this is bedrock stuff because he says, now that I say to you that you are Peter, which is translated what? Rock. And upon this rock, I will build my, what's that next word? Now, let me tell you what that's not. It's not kerche. That's not location. That's not monument. That's not dead. That's movement. That's alive. That's a group of people. On this this rock, on this statement that you made, Peter wasn't the rock. Even though God changed his name, what what this bedrock stuff was, the statement he made. You see, let me tell you, this is very important. A lot of Catholics believe that Peter is the foundation of the church. In fact, um, they say that he was the first pope and, the, you know, he's the first in a long line of popes. But listen to what he says here. He says, this, this ecclesia is not a person. It's not a hierarchy. It's a group of people. All right. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Let me tell you, that word hell is, is better translated death or sheol. And it literally means this. It doesn't matter who dies. This will continue on. Now, let me ask you a question. Is Peter dead? You betcha. He's been dead for quite some time, right? But what Jesus is saying is on this bedrock statement that you made, on this bedrock statement that you made that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, the church will be built on top of that. And even if you die, and it doesn't matter who dies, it doesn't matter what scandals, it doesn't matter what happens, this church, this movement will continue on. It will continue on. And here's the hard thing about that. And so many times the church in general has really screwed this up, haven't we? 
In fact, so many, so many of you, the reason why you bounced away from God years ago was because of hurt that you experienced in the church. Because you went in and you saw more of a monument instead of a movement. In fact, let me tell you what happened in the 300 AD when this whole thing was mistranslated, this linguistic error, error from ecclesia to kerche, this location, from a people to a location, to a place, is whoever controlled the building controlled the Bible. And whoever controlled the Bible could control the message and could control the people. And whoever controlled the people could control the government. So here in the dark ages, you see the church doing some really awful, terrible, bad, no good things in the dark ages. Awful things. I mean, they would not allow people to read the Bible. What I'm encouraging you today, they couldn't do. Because the Bible, they forbid it being translated in any other language except one in Latin. And by the way, how many of y'all speak Latin? Oh, you don't either? I can speak two words. Carpe dentum. Seize the plaque. That's all I know. Right there. I mean, nobody could understand it back then because it was a dead language. But you see, the people in power in the church didn't want people reading the Bible for themselves because they would realize half the stuff they were teaching was, was made up, like purgatory. Like, you know what, unless your child is baptized, he won't go to heaven. It ain't in there. And all of this stuff that people got that just wrapped their lives around, it was because of the church. And that is not how Jesus said it should be. No, this was to be a movement, not a monument. It was to be about people, not about a place. It was to be about something living, not dead. And let me tell you what's crazy about this. Is after Jesus asked this question, who do you say that I am? This was at, right at the end of his three-year ministry. And then at the end, he was, he was crucified. He was buried. Three days later, he was resurrected from the dead. And at the in, in the end of all four of those Gospels, it, it basically says the same thing. Jesus gives something called the Great Commission. And this is the last words he gives to his disciples. He, after he was resurrected, he spent about 40 days with people. In fact, in one gathering, he, he appeared to over 500 different people. I mean, this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Some amazing stuff. But the last words that he said called the Great Commission, he told them to do something. And it's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all four of those at the end of those and at the beginning of the book of Acts. Action. And the book of Acts is all about what? The church. All right, let's look at this. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Let's talk about this ecclesia, these, these people. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. I mean, this is cool because he didn't say, you know, just don't just take my word. You, he proved to them that he was alive. I love that. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once while he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until my father sends you the gift that was promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water. But in just a few days, you will be baptized with what? And in fact, I said with what? I missed that. With who? The Holy Spirit is not a what. It's not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, Lord, when has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And we talked about this last week. 
Why did the Jews miss their king? And it was because they were looking for a conquering king. They were looking for a king to come up and like take out some swords and start slicing people like Braveheart, you know, that they will take our lives. I mean, to, I mean, open up a can of like whoop booty and like kill everybody. That was the Messiah they were looking for. But Jesus did not come that way. He's going to come that way again. But Jesus did not come that way the first time, and they totally missed him. So they're asking a question, hey, when are you going to get this kingdom up and running? You're the king, right? I want to be in charge. I want to be large and in charge. And look at what Jesus says. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. All right? And it's not for you to know. Right, I'm just going to say that right there. Does anybody know when Jesus is going to come back, you know, and like set up his kingdom? Anyone? Because if anybody tells you they do, they're jacklagged. All right. The Bible says nobody knows. Nobody knows. So don't get all, some of y'all 2012 coming. Y'all get already getting freaky. You're hoarding water and you got, you get your generators all full of gas. And some of y'all, you're already starting churning your own butter. Y'all got to get a life. Because I'm telling you, nobody knows if it's going to be 2012. Nobody. So don't get all crazy. All right? So he says, nobody knows. But then he says this, but you will receive what? Power. That Greek word power is the word dunamis. And it's where we get our word dynamite. Right? Dunamis. Okay, that's the Greek word for power. He says, you're going to receive power when what? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be, as a result of this power, you will be my witnesses. Now, let me tell you about that Greek word. That Greek word witnesses means exactly what it sounds like. It's like being in a courtroom and somebody being a witness in court. Somebody testifying, hey, this is what I've seen. This is what I've experienced. Somebody to accurately represent something that has happened. All right, that's what that word witness is. I'm going to keep on going. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. That's what witnesses means. Everywhere. First, where? In Jerusalem. By the way, where were they at at the time? Jerusalem. All right. First, Jerusalem. Then throughout Judea, which is kind of like the broader area. If we're in Clarksville, the broader area is the state of Tennessee. That's kind of how Judea is. Jerusalem's a city. Judea is the state. And then in Samaria, and that's like what we consider Arkansas. These are the people that nobody wants to be around. You know, it's the crazy. Um, the, I mean, that's what, anybody from Arkansas? Good. All right. Anyway, didn't want to have to apologize about that. I got to be honest with you. Sometimes the truth hurts. Anyway, so... I'm just, I'm just joking. All right. So here's the thing. I, I, I want you to first witness to me in Jerusalem, where you're at, broader Judea, Samaritans. Let me tell you about the Samaritans. They didn't like because they were half breeds. They were kind of Jewish, but they were kind of something else. And they hated these people. And they're going, I don't want to have to go to these people. I don't even like these people. But they're like, okay. And then where? To the ends of of the earth. Now, again, I don't know what the disciples were thinking when they heard this. I I don't have a clue. I'm thinking this. Okay, Jerusalem, we can do that. I could possibly do Jerusalem. 
All right, Judea, well, you know, there's only, there's only probably about 100 people up on this hillside that Jesus is talking to. There's the 11 disciples because one flunked. And then you had Jesus's, Jesus's mom, Mary, was there. His brothers were there. His sisters were there and probably some other people. So about 100 people, uh, this kind of crowd. And they're going, okay, we got Jerusalem. Judea, that's a little bit bigger. We can possibly do that. Samaria, don't, do not want to do that. And to the ends of the earth? Okay, time out, Jesus. We got 100 people here, and you want to take this stuff to the ends of the earth? I mean, do you know how big the earth is? In which Jesus could have said it's a whole lot bigger than what you think it is. Because they only thought the earth was the Roman world. They ain't even heard of North America, South America, Antarctica, Australia. I'm missing some stuff, all right? But... I mean, they didn't know how big it was. But you know what? You and I are fulfillment to this prophecy. I mean, think about this. If you're still on the fence thinking, I don't know if I can trust this Bible thing. I don't know if I can trust Jesus thing. This is a prophecy about you and about me. Because think about this. How did all of this happen? How did one guy and 12, 11 of his disciples take the world and turn it upside down. How did this Jewish peasant who never led anything into battle, who never wrote anything, who never traveled any more than 70 miles away from where he was born, who never, um, who never ran for political office, how in the world are we talking about him today? 2,012 years later. And it's because Jesus said, it's going to happen. And let me just say, if, if you're, if, when he says it's going to happen, You can take that to the bank. Some of you, you're worried about promises that maybe God has made to you or you've read in the Bible, and you need to know they're going to happen. They're going to happen. Jesus is as good as his word. Now, as we close today, I want to show you how the book of Acts fits with the rest of this stuff. So I want you to turn to the table of contents, the very beginning of your Bible. Table of contents. Everybody needs to be flipping. If I don't hear pages flipping, I'm going to have everybody turn up the lights. I'm going to start yelling. Some of you are going, all right. (laughs) Y'all a bunch of geeks, all right. All right, dear Jesus. All right, so everybody at the table of contents? Now, notice Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a biography about who? Jesus. The book of Acts is about what? Action, and it's all about the church. Now, here's the cool thing. You can break up the book of Acts, and I'm going to show you how you can do this. You can break it up by Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now, keep it there because you may want to write this next to Acts, you can break it up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the main sections of Acts chapters 1 through chapter 7, is all about Jerusalem. He's saying you you need to start where you're at. Some of you, you're like, man, I want to go to Africa. I want to go to Zimbabwe. I want to go to, to wherever. And you know what? You need to start at home telling people about Jesus. I mean, that's what Jesus was telling his disciples. You start here. Your Jerusalem is Clarksville, Hoptown, Fort Campbell. So Acts chapters 1 through Acts chapter 7, it's about their backyard. It's Jerusalem. Now Acts chapters 8 through chapters 12, all right, is all about Judea and Samaria. Um, now what, here's what's so cool. In between, What happened? Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 7, they're sticking around here and they didn't want to go anywhere because the church, even back then, J- Jesus said, I want it to be a movement. And they're like, we're happy, dog. I'm happy sitting exactly where I'm at. And you know what God had to do? He had to use persecution. Persecution and hard times to get people outside of their comfort zones. 
All right? Because at the end of chapter 7, let me tell you what happened. Stephen died, the first martyr of the church. He dies, and everything gets crazy. And they say, we got to bounce from Jerusalem. It's getting hot around here. And they decided to go to Judea and Samaria. And in the center of the church moved from Jerusalem to a little place called Antioch. And there, guess what they did? They got comfortable. And it, it started becoming a monument again. And it started becoming not a movement, but it started, they started thinking, okay, the church is about Jerusalem. It's about Antioch. And Jesus had to use persecution again. And then from Acts 13 to Acts 28, it goes everywhere. Because they're getting persecuted everywhere. Now, that's one way that you can kind of break up the book of Acts. Let me show you another way. In Acts chapters 1 through chapter 12, it's primarily talking about Peter. Peter is the highlight of this. All right? He's one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. He's the one that Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter, the rock. All right? So, also, from Acts chapter 13 to Acts chapter 28, it's primarily about one person, and his name is Paul. It's a, his name is Paul. And God changed his name, used to be Saul, to Paul. And you can read about his conversion in Acts chapter 9. What's so cool about that is this. Paul wasn't one of the original 12 disciples, but he decided, you know what? I want to start planting some churches. Jesus says, I, you need to do it, start having some ecclesia. So I'm going to go. And he started going on these mission trips. And on his first missionary journey, he pretty much went to Crete, this little island in the Mediterranean. Anybody been there? Anybody on? All right, cool. Some of you army folks have been there. All right, and then from there in the second missionary journey, he went back to Crete, and then he went up in like Turkey and Asia Minor, and he started planting churches. All right, and in, in the third missionary journey, he started going to all the, it starts getting wider and wider and wider. Why? Because Jesus says it's going to go to the what? Ends of the earth. And he started going to some of these strange, weird place names like Thessalonica. That was a city. Ephesus. That was a city. Um, he ended up going to this uh, place called Corinth. And he lived in Corinth for a year and a half. If you don't believe me, read Acts chapter 18. Because all the book of Acts, short for action about the church, is about Paul going to these different cities and he starts a church. And then he starts a church in Corinth, lives there a year and a half, and then he bounces and says, okay, i got to go to Ephesus. And he starts a church in Ephesus. Now, when he gets to Ephesus, he hears all these churches he started in, in, Corinth, in, in Corinth. They're all jacked up. So he writes him a letter. And you know what he calls it? First Corinthians. All right? See, see, here's what you need to understand. All these letters afterwards, all of that, if you want to understand the letters, you have to put it in the context of the book of Acts. And that will tell you why he wrote the letter. Now, the reason why it's called 1 Corinthians is because he wrote another letter. It's called, thank you very much, right? All right. Now, it, he, he wrote a letter called Ephesus. Guess, guess where that was to? The church in Ephesus. First and second Thessalonians. Those are two letters he wrote to the church he started in Thessalonica. All right, Colossians is a church he wrote to a, a group of people in Colossae that he had never even met. All right. In Romans, he's writing to the church in Rome. All right. You see how this fits together? 
All right, this isn't rocket science here. But really, at the end of the day, Jesus said, You're, this is going to be a movement. It's going to be a movement. It's not, it's not centered around a location. It's not centered around a place. It's not centered around a, a monument or something dead. No, this is a movement. This is alive. This is a group of people. But 300 years later, this is where the church is doing right here. Y'all been there. It shouldn't be that way. Let me tell you, from from 300 A.D. all the way to 1500 A.D., that's what happened. Nobody could read the Bible. No one could read the Bible in their own language. It It was only allowed in one language, and that was Latin. That was until a fella came along by the name by the name of William Tyndale. Here's a picture of William Tyndale. All right? William Tyndale. And let me tell you about Tyndale. He lived in the 16th century, the 1500s, and he was from England. He was a linguist, linguist, which means he worked with languages. And he got fed up with the church. He got fed up them making up all of this stuff and all of these doctrines and purgatory and infant baptism and you name it. I mean, corruption. If you pay me some money, I'll get your loved ones out of hell. And he said, you know what? Enough's enough. So he decided to take the Hebrew scriptures, which is the Old Testament, and the, the, the Greek scriptures, which is the New Testament, and translate them into the book of, in, into English. And uh, what helped a lot was 100 years before Gutenberg lived, and he invented the what? Press, the printing press. So what took people hundreds of thousands of hours copying, he was able to print, and he printed the New Testament into English. And you know what the church did? They called him a heretic. They hunted for him. I mean, they were trying to kill him. And eventually, uh, a friend of, his, of William Tyndale's got offered some money and gave him over to the church. And he was tried. He was convicted. He was hung. He was burned. They, 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 uh, they uh, digged up his bones. And then they burned him 100 years later just to make sure the dude was dead. I mean, that, that's some counseling issues right there. All right. Now let me tell you what William Tyndale, this is all because he believed that everyone should be able to read the Bible, that everyone should be able to eat this book. In fact, what really ticked the church off is when every time he came to this little word, ecclesia, he didn't translate it as kirche or location or place or monument. He, translate, he translated it every time as congregation of people, assembly of people, movement of People. And that's what made him so angry. In fact, he said this. This is so interesting. During his trial, right before he was executed, this is what he says. And I'm gonna, I've kind of made the English a little bit easier to understand. But he says, if God spares my life, whatever years he may, I will cause a boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than the priests do. And that's exactly what happened. He died. And they, what fueled the fire of his burning, was his own Bibles that he translated. And they tried killing the messenger. But you know what? The word was already out. And people started reading the Bible for themselves. And the power left the church's hands because everybody thought the church was a location where people could come and hear God's word. And they finally realized, no, you can read the Bible every day 
for yourself. So let me just say, I want to say, I am so thankful for you who understand this, that the church isn't a building, that we can meet in a movie theater, we can meet in a high school, we can meet in a parking lot, we can meet, in fact, some of you tonight, uh, tomorrow night, the next night, you're going to be in a community group that meets in people's homes. And if one church wasn't even around, you would still be the church because you would be meeting in people's homes. And you would be looking at God's word and you would be praying for one another and you would be experiencing accountability. And when somebody got a busted up life, you would be caring for them. That is the church. And I want to say thank you. Let me tell you, I want to say thank you for those people who are right now sitting with your children in circles in wonderland. And they're telling them, they're not babysitting them. They're telling them about Jesus. They're telling them about the church. My son came home the other day and he had Genesis chapter 1 verse 21 memorized. He's four years old. Let me tell you, that happens because people here sacrifice. And I want to say thank you. That when somebody is here and you can go up to check the check-in, the children's check-in table, and you, nobody has ever been to church for the first time, you can see a smile and a warm handshake with a greeter. Or something. There's some, there are people sitting in circles back in one-way street, our K-5th through grade environment, and they're dancing, right? I mean, they're jazzing it up. I mean, and, and, and it's because they believe, our people here believe, that this shouldn't be a monument. This shouldn't be just a place. This shouldn't be about something that's dead because we worship a risen, alive Savior and the church should be alive. Man, if that doesn't blow your skirt up, nothing will. Nothing. That's why we do what we do here. So I just want to say thank you. And my challenge as we close this series is read the Bible. Don't just take my word for it. I had somebody in my office the other day who says, well, I know this is right because you said it. Time out. In fact, I'm going to read you a verse. All right? This is in Acts chapter 17. And Paul, you heard me say about, talk about this dude. Paul is going to this place called Berea. All right? He's going to the Bereans, and he is telling them about Jesus. All right? Very, very important. All right? And uh, let me just read this to you as we close. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to, to Berea. They started a church. And when they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. This was kind of their pattern. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. All right? And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see what Paul and Silas were teaching them was true. Let me tell you, that's what you better be doing with me. And that's what you better be doing with anybody else up on the stage who tells you this is what God's word says. Don't take my word for it. You go to the Bible. And let me say this. If some of you, you're like, man, I just don't know if I'm growing. That's not our problem. That's yours. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. If you're only eating one meal a week, you're not going to be physically healthy. And if you're only eating one spiritual meal a week that's in here, you're not going to be healthy. So get into God's word for yourself. We got free Bibles. We're removing every one of the excuses. I mean, I, I, we talk about you version. If, if things got crazy, if somebody gave us $2 million, I'd give everybody a smartphone so that you could be able to have you version. Nobody's done that yet, but I'm still waiting. All right? 
But we want you to read the Bible. Because I believe if you read the Bible, Jesus will speak to you. Totally. Totally. Acts 17, verse 6. I wanted to read this too. I didn't get to this. This is so very, very interesting. This is, um, this is what people are telling about Paul and Silas and the message of the church, this movement. Listen to how this, the movement of the church is described. This is in Acts 17, 6. It says this. But when they did not find them, they're trying to find Paul and Silas because they're wanting to kill these people, all right? It's amazing when Paul and Silas was preaching, mobs broke out. When most preachers preach today, people sleep. I don't understand that. All right? By the way, if you're sleeping, wake up. All right? But when they did not find Paul and Silas, they dragged one of their friends, Jason, and some of the other believers before the city officials saying, these men who have caused trouble all over the world now has come here, and they are turning the world upside down. That rocks face. When's the last time you turned your world upside down? When is the last time you went in to your brigade, into your place of employment, into your family, and you went like this to it? Because if you're not doing this, you're not being the church. Because the church ain't a place. It is you. And it is me. All right. Uh, it's 10.06. I'll be able to answer maybe a couple of questions. All right. Uh, let's see. Why is church on Sunday? That's a great question. All right. Now, back in the, in the Jewish times, in the Old Testament, their holy day was on Saturday. All right. And that was called the Sabbath. In fact, this is kind of cool. The Sabbath didn't go from morning to morning. Jews actually measured their days by evening to evening. So the Sabbath would start on Friday evening, and it was done on Saturday evening. You follow me on that one? All right. Um, That's the reason why when it says Jesus was in the tomb for three days, they're counting part of Friday, part of Saturday, and part of Sunday. All right. All right. Now, the reason why we have church on Sunday is because Jesus rose again on Sunday. So the church, the ecclesia, decided, let's don't meet on Saturday anymore. Let's start meeting on Sunday because this is all about Jesus. Absolutely. Very, 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 very good question. All right. Let's see. Uh, I think I have. Oh, I'm, I'm getting them now. All right. If, if 1 Corinthians is a, is, a, is a letter, why isn't it called first letter? All right. That's actually a really good question. Well, a churchy word for letter is the word epistle. All right. So the, the, the first epistle to the Corinthians, that's kind of the full name of it. But I, I'm not saying the word epistle because nobody knows what that is. And if I say the word epistle too quickly, you said, you did what? So I don't want to do that. All right. It's a letter. I made it funny. All right. Cool. That was good. All right. I'm, I'm looking for any other question. Um, all right. About the whole er, uh, Ecclesia Kirche connection. I've never heard that connection. That's cool. Uh, very good. I think that's the last of my questions. All right. Let's pray.